You look like you're about to share a special announcement with our listeners. I sure am. Today's episode is just part one of two with our friend Karen Somerville. Her awesomeness is so awesome. Exactly the word I was looking for. Uh, I've lost my train of thought now. I think what you were trying to say is that our experience with Karen was so amazing that we had to break it up into two episodes. That's it. Let's go. Help. I'm trying to identify my child's constellation of gifts. It is our great pleasure today to have our friend and guest, Karen Somerville, uh, on this episode of Stop Parenting and Start Coaching. And I would like to uh, give this wonderful woman a proper introduction. So Karen's journey began when her oldest son was a toddler. She resigned as a litigation partner from a law firm in downtown Seattle and became a career counselor. In her role as the founder of Legal Career Management, she helped over 1,500 attorneys, poor souls, find the right professional niche according to their talents and interests. What Karen had not anticipated was how her new career would inspire and inform her own parenting. Hearing her clients' stories, often about how their parents influenced an unfortunate choice, she was keenly aware of how her interactions with her two boys could impact their futures. It informed her own profession as well. By creating legal career management, Karen was able to develop her strengths and interests in a more fulfilling way. While counseling her clients on career choice, Karen was also a busy mom, raising two very athletic boys. Although Karen jokes that she has negative hand-eye coordination, her two sons both went on to become professional baseball players. Her oldest is now a coach, data analyst, and bullpen catcher with the San Diego Padres. Let's go, Padres! Karen wants to go to the postseason again this year. Uh, Now that her two boys are young adults, she is passionate about sharing what she has learned from her clients and her boys. She now writes and speaks to parents and educators about discovering each child's constellation of gifts, that unique combination of talents and interests that make us reach who we are. So Karen, I I must tell our listeners that we first talked, I believe about a year ago, and Karen was one of the first connections that I made on LinkedIn. And I was just fascinated with what she was writing about as far as parenting goes. I just, it didn't take me very long to say, I I want to talk to this person. I, I want to meet Karen. I want to talk to her. And we just, we've had a wonderful conversation. And and uh, since then, back and forth, I, f- I finally just told her, Karen, you are you are in the number one position on our podcast guest list when when Nate and I eventually do this. And so here we are. This is a dream come true for us. So I want to hear about this constellation of gifts. Well, thank you. That's a hard uh, introduction to live up to. But the constellation of gifts is one that I, it what didn't come to me just kind of overnight. It's one that I've been thinking about. And it's uh, something that I've learn from working with those hundreds of clients and raising my two boys and coming to the realization that we all come into the world with a unique combination of talents and interests. And for my clients, I would discover that through assignments that I would give them and ask them to look at the times in their lives that they did something well, enjoyed it while they were doing it, 
and we're proud of it when it was done. And I couldn't exactly give that assignment to my boys, especially when they were three and five years old. So instead, what I did was I developed a curiosity about them and observed what they did well, what they enjoyed doing, and what they would work at, even when there wasn't a practice or a game. And it was through that curiosity that I started to understand that they loved baseball. Both of them loved baseball. And I think if it hadn't been for my clients and knowing how some of them had ended up in a very unhappy situation because their parents had expectations for them to be a lawyer, I think I might have nudged my boys away from baseball. It wasn't something I was familiar with, but I could tell that they loved it. And so I resolved that as a parent, I would encourage my children to use their gifts. And over time, I could see that each of them individually had had unique gifts, even though each of them had stars in their constellation that related to athletics and specifically to baseball. And then the more I thought about pivoting to being what I call the parent GPS now, I was able to think of this constellation and each of us having a constellation and thinking about the ancient mariners and how they used the stars in the sky to guide them in uncharted waters. And so what better metaphor to use in terms of describing a way of understanding who each of us is and how we can actually use our gifts in service to the world around us. That's beautiful. I love that metaphor. Um, Tell me more about the parent GPS. You said that's, that's kind of the, is that the program that you do? Is that an approach? It's the approach and it's what I call myself now Uh in terms of how to describe what it is that you do, which is a little bit hard because I'm not a parent coach and I don't talk to parents a bit. I don't talk to parents about all of the nuances of my child had a temper tantrum. Oh, like my child got a bad report card. It's all about helping our children uh, discover their gifts in the context of the future. I'm looking at helping our children move into the adult world and kind of uh, seeing if we can see into the future, which of course we can't. And one of the problems that I see, and it's a huge temptation for parents, is that we want to think about what they will be able to do in the future that will be remunerative. Mm -hmm. And there's a great saying that I quote, and it's by Frederick Buechner, and it's help them find that place where their deep gladness meets the world's deep need. Help them find that place where their deep gladness meets the world's deep need. And when you deconstruct that and take the first part, which is the deep gladness, and you take the second part, which is the world's deep need. What parents do, and I, I'm at fault as well, we latch on to the world's deep need. And we look at our child and think, well, if they're an accountant, of course they'll have a future because the world will always need accountants. That's what my husband actually said. And I told him, we don't, we have, a, we don't have an accountant here. They are not, they're not going to be accountants. But we, we look, and so my, for my clients, their parents were looking at them from the perspective of, I know that lawyers do well. I'm a lawyer, so I want my child to be a lawyer. We can't predict what the world will need. In fact, there's a study that was done in 2017 that projects that in 2030, 85% of the jobs will be new, 85%. And so we can't even imagine what the world will look like when our children are out of high school 
or certainly out of college or in, in the adult world. But what we can focus on and what we can influence is helping them discover their deep gladness. And when we do that and we nurture that, then we have to have the confidence that the stars in their constellation will be enough. And I think Peter, my oldest son, is the best example of that. And he's the one, he's really the inspiration for me becoming the parent GPS. Uh Because he announced in middle school that he didn't like to read. He said, I don't read. And (laughs) it caused a little panic. My husband and I are both lawyers. If you ever saw our home, it has has floor-to-ceiling books, floor-to-ceiling books, and in a couple of rooms in the house. And... So to have a son who says, I don't read, really was an alarm for us. And what I realized, though, was that he was studying the Seattle uh, sports section, the Seattle Times sports section every single day over breakfast. He would study that. He would be eating his cereal, reading the sports section. But I didn't see that as reading. That didn't count because it wasn't a book. I thought you, in order to be successful as an adult, you needed to read books. You needed to read history and novels. You needed to be well-educated. And I didn't see that what he was doing was preparing himself for a future that I couldn't imagine. Because the job that he has and the way that he got into that is that he, well, going back to junior high, he was, um, he wasn't, he was only reading what he had to read. Anything else he would ignore. Um, But he did read the sports section. And he also in high school signed up for computer uh, programming class. He was uh, admitted to one that was uh, for the, for the juniors and seniors. I think he got into that class when he was a freshman or sophomore. He also just loved being with people. And so, but I didn't see that as a pathway to a successful future. And the job that he has was created for me. He was with the Padres now, but before that he was in the minor league, he was with the minors in, with the Dodgers. And they created a position for him called research science, co- science coach. And basically it was being a data analyst and a bullpen catcher and also kind of a little bit of a pitching coach. And then the Padres hired him away uh, to do that job for them. And the way that I look at this is we were fearful for Peter's future because we couldn't see how his gifts and his the stars in his constellation of gifts would align with the world's need. And yet the world's need changed to meet what he had and what he has to offer. When did when did you see it? Like, when did you shift from not being able to see it to, oh my gosh, this is like going to help him a lot? I think it was probably being at the first game when he was in his role for the Los Angeles Dodgers minor league team in Rancho Cucamonga, the Rancho, Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. And we were there, my husband and I were sitting in the stands and the person above us had a program. We had, I think we must have arrived late. We didn't get a program, but we glanced at the program in front of us. And it was a picture of our son. And it was this title called Research Science Coach. We're like, what is this even about? And they described this, this transition from him playing not so well in college to being this new, you know, this new thing of research science coach. They made up a title for him. I mean, they literally, they literally created a job for the stars in his constellation. So if you were, if you were to offer a parent some advice on how to make that transition earlier, how to start seeing your kids' potential and gifts, what would you tell them? I would say start with curiosity, 
and not expectation. I would say start being curious about what those stars are in your child's constellation. So instead of me looking at Peter at the uh, dining room table or reading the sports section and thinking, why isn't he reading a book? I would pull up a chair next to him and I would say, Peter, tell me what it is that you find so intriguing. Oh. Why do you read it every day? And part of my motivation is actually because I can't go back to that that little Peter at the dining room table. Well, he wasn't even so little then, but I can't go back to Peter and pull up a chair next to him. That that doesn't exist in my world. But for those parents who have that child who's doing something interesting that they don't understand, pull up a chair and ask them, what do you find so interesting? Why is this intriguing for you? Karen, I, I, before Nate asked that last question and before you answered, I I became curious uh, with this question, and that is, is it too late? Obviously, it's better if if you're with young Peter, right? Is it too late if if a parent has maybe made this expectation mistake and they want to get curious? Do you think it's too too late no. to help a teenager to do this, or oh, no. or like even their forty year old husband? You know, that's um, <laughs> you know that. Baby, I don't know. They they think that there's something missing here as far as the constellation of of gifts. What what would I know? You're not a parent coach, but I want you to. But you are the parent GPS. So what would you say to a parent that thinks they've they've missed the boat on this with their with a teenager? Well, with a teenager, it's not too late at all. It's that's actually a wonderful time, and it's of course it's great if we can have this uh, kind of mindset of curiosity when we hold our infant for the first time. But it's not too late at all when they're a teenager, and to start observing them and see what they enjoy and what are they doing when you call them for dinner and they say, "Wait, I'm I'm busy. I'll be down in a minute. Uh, just wait." That's the thing you want to pay attention to. And when do they work? extra hard? What are they willing to put in the extra time and the extra effort when there's not a game, there's not a practice, there's not an upcoming tournament, or there's not a test? When that's in place and they are still working hard at it, you want to ask them about that. And you want to find out what they find so interesting. And then you want to find ways to support it. I mean, my boys were pretty pretty obvious about the baseball thing. It didn't take any any genius parent to figure out that they love baseball. Andrew was playing, he was actually asking me to pitch to him, which I couldn't do when he was not even two years old and he could hit the ball. I thought that was kind of normal because um, he had a big brother and of course all kids do that. And he was playing in a seven-year-old game when he was three years old and in diapers. But most kids are not that obvious. Most parents have to work a little bit harder to discover those stars in their, ch- in their child's constellation. But teenage, no, if they are still at home and they're not, they haven't left yet for college or for work, there is time. And there is, it might be getting shorter, but you have precious time and you want to start using it and start by observing what they love to do and then encourage them in those activities and find other ways to support them. What are some of the other pitfalls that get parents to miss the constellation of gifts in their kids? It's getting either caught up in the excitement of them doing something well when the child might not want to continue. And so you have to be willing to let go 
Um, especially if it's something that you really are enjoying. And I think, you know, my younger son, Peter, was the was the more capable baseball player. And he was always the one that people expected to do great things. And he's no longer in baseball. He's in finance now. And he left after he had surgery for his hip. And that was probably two years into his uh, into the minors with the St. Louis Cardinals. And it was hard, not so hard for me, but it was hard for my husband to see Peter or Andrew give up on that dream of playing and being on a major league mound, pitching mound. So that's that's one of the pitfalls. Another pitfall is just always, it's so tempting to have expectations for your child. It's just, <laughs> it, it goes, it goes against, it goes against the grain of for most of us as a parent. And we have these, and we have to really catch ourselves when we are even letting ourselves hope that our child will do something that aligns with what we what we know. It's hard when our parent when our children take on activities and interests that we don't understand because we can't be the wise parent and we can't they don't look to us for guidance because we can't give it. And that's that's sometimes disheartening. But we have to know that if it's their gift and it's what they are brought into this world to do, we need to find ways to support them, even if we don't understand it. What are some other ways to support them on that? Well, when you when it is something that you understand and that you are good at, you can you can help them in lots of ways. I mean, yeah. my husband was able to to do some coaching and was able to play catch with them in the backyard. Those were things that I didn't do. So I looked for people outside of our family, outside of our community, and looked for people who could get them to the next level in pitching or hitting and even a, as a sports psychologist. Those were the things that I could contribute that were not directly offering my guidance because I didn't have that to give, but to find the people who could. So and you worked to just kind of equip them with the things that they needed. And if it wasn't something that you could provide personally, you found other people to do it. Right, right. And just working with the teachers, too, because at some point it became apparent that Andrew was going to miss some school for the baseball activities that he had. And I would be able to work a little bit. I mean, I made sure that he was involved in this, but made sure that um, I kind of opened the doors for him to go in and talk to the teachers and his advisors and, and make sure that they would understand that we approved of it and that this was something very important to him. And in fact, this was really his application for college. They needed to understand that him being gone from school was not something that was dismissive of education, but it was actually a way for him to, to further his education and to make, essentially, by going to these tournaments, he was applying for, for a college slot. Good stuff. I've got a mom question. Okay. <laughs> I loved hearing the story about you being a mom in the stands. If I think you remember the one that I'm talking about, and anyway, go yes. ahead and tell it. I think I think you know which one I'm talking about. Yes, and I don't I want do. to tell I it because you that. need you need to tell it. Well, I think I know which one you're talking about, and it was about uh, my boys telling me over dinner that they didn't want me to cheer for them. <laughs> they said, "Please, mom, don't cheer for us." And I was like, "But how can I not cheer for you?" And they said, "Mom, the problem is when you cheer for us, you only cheer when you're anxious." We can hear it in your voice. We know, and it's it's it isn't helpful. And I thought back to it, and it was true. I mean, 
when Andrew would step onto the plate and when he was throwing a few more balls than strikes, I would cheer, cheer. I would think it was cheering, but I'd say, Andrew, we've got this. Or it, 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 his, the anxiety came through in my voice. And that's what he heard. It wasn't supportive at all. Wow. And when and the same was for Peter when he was trying to hit the ball. So I resolved that I would never use their name when I cheered their team. I would cheer for the the Lions, the Bulldogs, whatever the team was, but not for it by the by name. And that I would refrain from really cheering at all when they were at a critical moment in the game. And I would cheer for their teammates in a way that was that also didn't project my anxiety. So I had to really do a reframing of how I supported them from the stands. How did you encourage that conversation? Did they come to you with that? Good question. It was over dinner. And I just remember, um, well, we often the dinnertime conversations were about baseball, as you can imagine. I can only imagine. (laughs) And I think they, they, they probably brought it up because I'm sure I didn't say, so did you appreciate my cheering today? (laughs) I'm sure I didn't bring it up. I think they probably each each one of them had probably experienced mom's anxious cheering, and it was time to call it and time to uh, to get her to quiet down in the stands. <laughs> Could you tell I, us I, they, had they talked about it beforehand? Were they like, "We're going to talk so. to mom about this"? No, no, I don't think it was planned. I okay, I they wouldn't have had time to coordinate that because they were both so busy and going in different directions. So I think it was just they both recognized the problem, and one of them probably brought it. I think. I think honestly, what happened is one of them brought it up, and the other one said, "Oh yeah, mom, it's so not helpful. You just don't even realize." And they were both kind of ganging up on me, and it's like, "Okay, okay, I've got this." I love that story, Karen. And I, you know, Nate and I, we talk about how there's a few roles that parents can fulfill when they're actually at the event, and uh, the really the only role they can fill and should fill is that of spectator. Uh, because coach in that situation, officials, players, they they can't fill those roles. But you you have just taken the role of spectator and dialed it in even more for parents. I just think that is I'm just imagining uh, all the stands out there and auditoriums in these situations. If parents were to cheer for the teammates and the team and refrain from cheering from their kids because it's yeah it is it it is amazing how they and I can't imagine you ever saying like a detrimental thing anything in your language to them but you said that they were it was the energy it was them you them feeling the anxiety in your voice so it was it was more about how you were saying things rather than what you were saying what a great what a great uh tip for parents Can I ask another question about that? I've just, I love the psychological breakdown of these moments. When they said that to you, did it click in your head right away? And you're like, okay, I'm going to make this change. Or was that like a kind of an evolution over the next week, month? No, immediately. I went to the very next game. There was Uh probably one the next day. Between the two of them, they probably had a game. It was during baseball season. I think it was, it had to have been during high school. Uh, Well, one was, one would have been in high school and one would have been in, in probably eighth grade. It was probably around that time. And so there would have been a game very soon. And it was like, 
And I, I'm sure I told him over dinner, I said, I, I didn't realize that. Of course. I mean, that was an easy adjustment to make, really. Um, what a great response from you, though. Just say, you know, thanks for sharing that. I realize that's a problem now. Now I'm going to fix it. Yeah. And I probably did, you know, in my own defense, I said, you know, I really was, I, I really thought I was helping. And I did. I mean, wh- how could you not think that telling them something which I thought was positive, but it was the, it was the energy of my voice that came through as anxiety. And they knew that I didn't expect them to, if I was telling them in the way that I told them, I wasn't expecting Andrew to throw a strike over Peter to hit the ball. <laughs> Is there anything that, that parents can do to encourage their kids to share things like that with them? I think probably just being open. I would think that the fact that I was receptive to it and just not being defensive. I think children will not share. If I had said, well, you're so ungrateful. I've driven you five or six Mm. hours a day, six or seven days a week for the last three years. And now you're telling me I can't even share. I mean, if I had done that, I can't imagine that they would have come to me with anything else. So I think it's being receptive. And I mean, it didn't require a lot of explanation on their part to have me understand what they were saying. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I got it because I, I know my voice, it carries a lot of emotion and it projects. So I I could immediately appreciate what they were saying. I just didn't know that about myself and how it was coming off. Well, Carrie, did you, notice, were, did you notice a change in the relationship after that with them? I don't know that it was immediate, but I would hope that, I mean, those things all take that, you know, the change in the relationship would take time and to right. and everything. So I think my change was immediate, but the effects of it probably would be more long-term. Yeah, but I'm there were effects from it. I think so. They, they didn't give me a lot of credit for much, but <laughs> so... <laughs> They were kind of hard on me. So um, I don't know. I I think I probably brought it up another time. So did you, I, what I probably did is over another dinnertime conversation, did you notice that I am not <laughs> hearing for you by name? And it's like, yeah, mom, we're thankful. Yeah, that, that's probably how it went down. Cool. <laughs> well, Karen, you are, I mean, you're a former litigator. Were you, were you a courtroom lawyer? Well, kind of. I, I did mostly, I was more of a paper litigator. I did mostly, every, almost everything I did was through written motions, but I did have a few opportunities to do arguments in court. And actually, the truth is that I had a great fear of public speaking. And just, I know, <laughs> but just before I I was going to be considered for partnership, I was assigned to a case uh, in federal court to argue the motion for summary judgment. And it was a case that I had never seen before. And I knew it was a test. I knew that it was going to be, if Karen's going to be a partner in this firm, which was a litigation firm, she's got to be able to, to go to court. So I snuck out of the office and worked with a speech coach. Uh, for, you know, most mornings in at least a week or two. And then I was ready and I won the motion. So, and I made partner, but I did not come into public speaking as someone who I did not realize that it was a star in my constellation. In fact, I would have thought that it, it didn't exist in my constellation, but I was able to nurture that one and get it. And now I actually enjoy public speaking. Well, kudos to you. Nate and I yeah. are a big fan of coaching. We're a big fan of people getting coaching. Yeah, sure. exactly. And it works. Yeah. yeah, I was just wondering if uh, there was a little bit of litigator in you when you were in the stands. And uh, <laughs> it was um, more mom. It was mom. It was more mom. Was, okay. It was more mom. It was mom. And when they say that my anxiety shone through, yes, it did. I mean, they were absolutely right. Because when they were doing well, I would just, I could sit back and relax. And it was in those moments when I was 
anxious for them that I would try to cheer them on. Baseball is such a hard sport to watch because it's the pace is slow enough that the stress builds up. Yes. Yes. Oh, man, this pitch matters so much. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And well, there there was a thing among the the teams that my boys played on, even through through college, where the moms of the pitchers, we would sit together. (laughs) Support group. (laughs) We We were. We were our own support group. And when our son was on the mound, we would all, you know, it's like, okay, we're gonna now we would send the energy to that mom and just to let her know how we we understand what she's going through. And no, none of the other moms really understood that it's it's special for a pitcher is there anything that parents can do to keep their focus on the quality of relationships the connections they're building with their kids instead of getting caught up in the outcomes and results well i think one of the things my husband was really good at i think is observing them and he had a maybe a better eye for this when he was watching them on the field and make note of things that they could improve but he would be and do it in a very constructive way um and that would be one way but i think just relaxing and supporting them in a way that assures them, I guess this would be the thing, that you love them no matter what the outcome of the game is. And that we would have a celebratory pizza dinner, whether they won or lost. If there was a game, we would, or a tournament, especially a tournament, we would, we would celebrate that. And I think, and also they need our love more when they lose. They need to know that we are there for them, that our love is not based on them doing well. Because one of the things, too, that I was very thankful for is that at the time that my boys were in uh, in middle school and high school, I honestly didn't know that there were opportunities to go to college on a baseball scholarship. I that. I knew I was from Nebraska. There were football players who got scholarships, but I didn't know. I didn't know that that was a possibility. And I think Peter would tell you now he was the first one who who got the scholarship and it was all his own. He did it himself, basically. And he called me and asked me to have the transcript from his high school sent to Santa Clara University. And I was just like, well, wait, why, why am I sending it? Mom, they're recruiting me. And I think that he would tell you that He was thankful that I didn't know, and I would have been anxious about it. I would have been asking him, so are we doing enough? I would have been. And so by removing that kind of expectation and from uh, from that equation of parenting, we can really do so much and so much better for our children. It's when we are wanting them to do well, they already want to do well. I think that's the other thing. They, They want to do their best. And when they're out there, it's not because they're not trying. And as parents, we need to recognize that. We can't make them try harder, but we can support them when their efforts don't get them as far as they want to go. Love the way you said that. That's a big time to support them. I want to ask you about post-game conversations. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you had hundreds of them. As, As your kids grew, as your boys grew up, did you find that your post-game conversations changed? What advice would you give to people on having good ones? Well, that's that's a great question. I think at some point they became very esoteric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they would be about very obscure rules. And would <laughs> should this one have been applied and and uh, we would actually have to go to uh, go to Google and you know and put it, because they got to be that esoteric. And there were some. The interesting thing is I don't remember us going back about. It was about umpires' calls, 
and we had there was a recognition that whatever the what the, 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 the basically it's a strike if the umpire calls it a strike. We never there, there was never room for us challenging that because you can't, um, and that was a I think a good life lesson, but the kind of dissecting the game and playing the you know the the 10th inning umpire was something that my boys did do and just kind of like well that that really wasn't the right call they would dissect it but we always knew that you know it's if it's called a ball it's a ball and you don't you can't uh you can't overrule it but the esoteric rules that got into that i think in the early days it was more about just the basics and just kind of, well, one of the earliest ones was, was when my son Peter played his first t-ball game, he got a hit and he ran past first base. I mean, it was just, and so we kind of, you know, Peter, this is, you know, we, so it was a lot about the rules and just uh, kind of learning at every stage, it was more refined as far as the rules of the game. And to the point where I was kind of lost myself. <laughs> did you ever have, did they ever not want to talk about the game? Did you ever have that moment where they were like, no, I don't want to talk about that one? I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. And and there were times in the car, especially with my youngest, when it hadn't gone well, he really wanted to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I, and this was a learning that I, the boys were very different in that way. And Peter could be consoled and you could, could talk to him, but Andrew just wanted to go into his room and just be by himself for a while. And when he got old enough, I might even have left the house because he just needed to work it out on his own. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn that. And it was kind of, in some ways, it almost felt like a rejection at first. It was like, well, doesn't he want me to comfort him? But he he needed to actually process it on his own. And that was, so learning that difference between even just the two boys, one needed a little bit of consoling, but not in a, you know, in an expectation kind of way. And the other one just needed to have some time to process it and then emerge after he had and be able to join us at the dinner table, maybe. Kudos to you for identifying that and then respecting that. That's hard to do. It it was. And it didn't, that was, that took quite a while because I, I didn't immediately make that connection between, oh, he's getting more upset with me being here. And then just, and it felt, it felt bad as a mom to leave him when he's feeling that bad. Mm. It it went against all of my uh, instincts as a mom. It was so, so counter to everything that I was feeling, but that was what he needed. Great momming right there. Like that's, we talk about that in multiple episodes is sometimes the, the biggest enemy of our parenting is our love for our kids. The mm-hmm. love actually gets in the way. We love them so much. We want to stop the pain, fix all the problems. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great job. Thank you for listening today. And we invite you to join us in our next episode for part two with Karen Somerville. On behalf of Steve Galley, I'm Nate Crandall, and we thank you, our loyal listeners, for tuning in to this episode. If you love what you're learning from the Stop Parenting and Start Coaching podcast, we would appreciate it very much if you would leave us a five-star review and some glowing comments. We also encourage you to share this episode with your friends and family who are parents of athletes and performers. And if you want to explore further and see what Steve and I are creating to help thousands of parents, athletes, and performers, please visit our company's website at createtransformbecome.com. That's createtransformbecome, all one word, .com. There you'll find a growing number of resources to help you elevate your performance. Thank you again for your support, and we encourage you to create a magical relationship with your athlete and performer.